our deliverer is coming. We are in Exodus 2 tonight, verses 1 through 10. And I've titled this message, Faith by the Banks of the Nile. And um, actually on Sunday nights, as a preacher, I typically don't like Bible trivia. Because a lot of times I'm supposed to know it. And some of these questions are so hard. You know, like the other night at the love banquet and we played those games. And it's like, oh boy, am I going to get in trouble? And uh, But I want to look at some characters um, on Sunday night who are forgotten but not forsaken. Names we may not be so familiar with, but they're familiar to God. And actually I want to look at two ladies tonight. And one, probably you've heard the name, not a lot about her. The other one, I doubt you've even heard her name, but God knows her name quite well. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We think about Moses when we think about his deliverance from slavery, but let's stand in God's honor, Exodus 2. I'm going to read those 10 verses. And uh, then we'll jump in the message. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the banks of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and... Get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that although by many we may be forgotten, we are not forsaken. As we look at these two ladies tonight, Father, they are precious to you. And Father, you had a plan for them to make a great impact. And I thank you for that impact, Lord, that we still enjoy the impact of the lives of these two women, Father. And I just pray that you speak to our hearts tonight as we look at this passage of Scripture. And may you be pleased, Father, as um, we look to you for our strength and for wisdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In the early 1800s, there was a 10-year-old boy who obviously had a knack for strategy. So he was placed in military academy. Um, As he grew, he obviously stood apart from some of the other students. And he became 
so popular at the age of 28, he actually became a general in the French army, a guy by the name of Napoleon Bonaparte. And Napoleon became famous not only for his strategy, but for his blind courage. Uh, that was cemented, his legacy, when in fighting the Russians, actually the battle took place on a frozen lake. And when the Russians tried to run away, they shot at the lake, and the Russians fell into the water and drowned. And he became elevated, and within a few years, he became the emperor of France. Many believed he would take over the whole world, that he would become an emperor of all lands. And then there was a battle in 1809, a battle where he would not gain victory, but he would be defeated. But that's not all that occurred in 1809. All eyes were upon that battle and the result of that battle. But as writer Frank Borham of Australia wrote so eloquently, he said, If you were living in the year 1809, what mattered most were the battles of Napoleon. That year stood midway between two great battles that seemed to shape the destiny of the world. They were the battles of Trafalgar and Waterloo. One battle destroyed Napoleon's naval power and the other battle destroyed his remaining military power. In the year 1809, everyone was thinking of battles. That's what mattered. Nobody was thinking about babies. But what was God planning for the world? In 1809, William Gladstone was born, one of Great Britain's greatest prime ministers. Lord Alfred Tennyson was born that same year, as was Oliver Wendell Holmes in Massachusetts, and Frederick Chopin in Warsaw, and Felix Mendelssohn in Hamburg. In that same year, 1809, to poor pioneers living in the wilderness of Hardin, Kentucky, the first baby boy was born into the Lincoln family, and they named him Abraham. Viewing 1809 in the truer perspective of history, which the years enable us to command, we may well ask ourselves if the battles mattered more than the babies who were born that same year. If you're able to go back in history and witness Egypt and a rule of a pharaoh who for 350 years was considered the most powerful of all. And he built much of his empire upon the backs of Hebrew slaves who worked for him under great suffering. And in the midst of his power and in the midst of, of his name, nobody really thought a lot about little babies. But in the midst of Slave huts, there was a little baby to be born to a couple, Amram and a lady named Jochebed, who would give birth to a little baby who God would use to make a great impact. Pharaoh was terrified, as we read at the end of chapter 1, that there would be so many Hebrew babies born that they would become a threat and be able to overpower Egypt. And so in the last verse of chapter 1 we read. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile. But let every 
girl live. Now, before we dive into chapter 2, I want to point out something that is um, often overlooked as we hear this passage of Scripture. That in the background, unnoticed, there was a raging battle by Satan himself. You see, Satan can't be everywhere at the same time. Satan can't know the future, but he is a great student of prophecy. Satan studies the Scriptures, and Satan knows about the prophecies and God's promises. And in Genesis 15, 13, and 14, there is a prophecy he was well aware of. It reads, Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You see, Satan's clock was ticking. It was time for the fourth generation. It had been 350 years of the rule of Pharaoh. And any year, any day, any moment, that the liver could be born. And so back in the scenes, it wasn't just Pharaoh that wanted to wipe out the Hebrews. It was the devil himself who wanted to wipe out God's promised people. And wipe out the promised Savior and Deliverer that would set them free from slavery. And as we know, would be the one from whom our Deliverer would come. The Lord Jesus Christ. Moses was part of that fourth generation. And his alarm clock, the devil's alarm clock was ringing as he was looking for that promised one to come. And he wanted to snuff out his life. And so we read about it in our text. As there's a man of the house of Levi. Who married a Levi woman. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw he was a fine child. She hid him for three months. Now before I even go any further. And make mention is you go to chapter 6 of Exodus. We learn in the chapter that Moses wasn't the first child of Jochebed. She had two other children. She had a little boy by the name of Aaron who was three years old. And she had a daughter who was her oldest child named Miriam who at the time was seven years old. And it would be really easy to take some time to stop and think about the fact that God would lead his people out of slavery through one family, three siblings who grew up in a slave hut and yet God would raise up to lead his people out of bondage and slavery. But the emphasis is is not upon these three children but upon the fact that they lived in a godly home. That they had a a father and a mother who loved the Lord God and who followed the Lord God and whose lives were impacted by the Lord. We see, though, that 
they saw he was a fine child and they hid him for three months to protect him from the certain death of Hebrew boys as the law was passed through the land that the Hebrew boys would be placed in the river. Some translations, this one says a fine child, uh, could be translated beautiful, and some uh, speaks well-formed, handsome little boy that was hidden. But this was really more than about his cute little dimples or the fact he was pleasing to look at. In Acts chapter 7, verse 20, in Stephen's sermon, we see a picture, another indicator from God regarding Moses. It tells us that he was... Seven verse twenty. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for in his father's house. So the picture here, or also I have a note here. It says, "Or was fair in the sight of God." He was no ordinary child. It wasn't just his physical appearance. It was the fact that God had chosen this baby for a special purpose and his mother who was in tune with a living God understood that this baby had a special purpose from God to step out. It was an ingenious plan by Pharaoh to put the little boys um to be killed upon the Nile River uh, to be placed. You see, upon the Nile River, the crocodiles were considered to be servants of the Nile God. And the idea of the Nile God was that he is the one from which all good things and blessings come in the Egyptian culture. Any kind of blessing you pay tribute. And so it was not unusual for babies to be offered to the Nile God, to satisfy him and what he required. And so it was probably likely among Pharaoh and among the Egyptians where they would say, it's time you Hebrews sacrificed a precious baby that's precious to you to earn our God's favor and to follow through. But also in these slave huts, not only did devil have an have an alarm clock ringing was he looking for this promise to deliver so were those who followed God who sought the scriptures who knew of this prophecy and they knew that this was the fourth generation and there were many among God's people the Hebrews who were also waiting for that promised one who would come and who would be the deliverer once Jochebed and Amron understood that their little baby was no ordinary child, was the promised one. It says that they hid him for three months. Now, what a task. You see, the problem was, it's not like that little hut had a basement where you could take him down, or an attic where you could go up and protect him, or a spare room in the back where no one could see. They were in this little hut. And so the question was, how in the world could they hide a baby? 
I mean, those babies are noisy. Right? So, it's interesting in Hebrews eleven twenty three is it also describes this fact of this baby being hidden. The, the word used there to hide, which literally could be translated to cover or to conceal. And so the picture of what's going on here is not that they were trying to hide the fact that they had a baby. They're trying to hide the fact that they had a baby boy. So I, I guess in today's lingo, if you saw this baby... The, Baby would not be dressed in blue, but in pink. There would be every indication that this infant was a little girl, not a little boy. And that his mother did all that she could to keep him safe. I can imagine when she was with other moms of small babies and they said, Oh, well, doesn't he have, doesn't he have his dad's? Features, his eyes, his chin, or, or he looks like me, or or look at how beautiful she is. But Jochebed was strangely quiet. She was cautious. She had to be careful that she did not say anything that might endanger the fact that her baby was not a little girl, but a little boy, and could be discovered. She had to be careful for those ninety days every time she changed him. To make sure that he was safe. And being faithful Levites. It's um, safe to assume. If on the eighth day they had him circumcised. And I can imagine they were praying. God please don't let there be any complications. Please let this little boy heal properly. Please father keep him safe. And protect him through this. We don't know what happened after three months. Maybe the neighbors got suspicious. Maybe little Aaron or Miriam let the word out by accident. But his identity could not be concealed any longer. And so we read what happened. She got a papyrus basket for him. And she coated it with tar and pitch. She placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. The tar was to make the basket waterproof so it would float. And the pitch actually was used to serve um, as a natural way to keep crocodiles away. But it was an ingenious plan that Jochebed came up with. And it was carefully thought through, carefully prayed through, carefully planned. And don't think for a moment that she just set the baby on the river haphazardly. No, it says that she placed him among the reeds on the bank of the Nile. I believe in a very strategic, specific place. It says his sister sat at a distance, also keeping watch. To make sure that this little baby was safe. And then came Pharaoh's daughter into the water. It's not like she just came out here with a bar of ivory soap and a washcloth. Ready to get a, you know, a good scrubbing. That's not the idea behind this. As a matter of fact, in Egyptian culture, archaeologists have unearthed the fact that they had very extravagant bathrooms. And them had marble laboratories running water 
flushing toilets. Um, it was not necessary for Pharaoh's daughter to come to the Nile to bathe for the purpose of getting clean, risking disease, risking meeting a crocodile in the Nile River. And that was not the purpose. It wasn't that type of bath. But it was a ritual that was designed for her to come and to pay her tribute to the Nile God. Chances are she was barren. She was married. She desperately wanted a child. And by coming into the river, maybe she was hoping and paying her tribute to the Nile God that she would be blessed and that she would be able to have a child that she so desperately longed to have. And so as she came into the water, it was for this purpose of worship. And sure enough, what she discovered was not what she expected. It says uh, in verse 5, Then Pharaoh's daughter, as she went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. You see, I, I believe that Jochebed had watched her before. And she knew her heart. And she knew to what part of the Nile River she would go as she would pray to that Egyptian god. As she would cry out for a child. And God had given this plan to Jochebed that had been well thought out. And she placed that basket right in the place where she knew that this Egyptian princess would go. And then she had rehearsed with Miriam. I mean, just like a play, if you've ever had to rehearse with your kids, you got to get these lines down, honey. I know it's been 543 times, but we got to make sure you get this right. This had been well rehearsed, and Miriam was ready, and she was staged in just the right place as they had believed that she would show up to the reeds at this location, and it would be an opportunity for this baby, this deliverer, to be rescued because God had a plan. And let me let me communicate this clearly. Although this is an ingenious plan, and you know, I'll give clap to Jochebed, it was God who took this plan because the you know, hey, the best plans can fall completely apart. But God took these plans and he honored these plans in rescuing this little baby. I love it, verse 6, it says, She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying. And she felt sorry for him. I don't think that he was crying with one of those annoying screams where you might want to stick the basket under the water. I think this was a whimper where you could see the gentle tears on the side of the baby's face where your heart is just so moved. You want to pick up the baby and hold the baby. And there's this immediate bond with the baby. And I think that that's what occurred. And isn't it interesting here? Notice what she says. This is one of the Hebrew babies. Well, she knew the edict by Pharaoh. All the Hebrew male babies were to be drowned. They weren't allowed to live. But if there was anyone in the kingdom of Egypt who may have had some 
ends with the Pharaoh, was Pharaoh's daughter. Isn't our God amazing? As he chose that one person that could rescue this little baby who would rescue his people and set them free. She knew it was a Hebrew baby. Verse 8, yes, go, she answered, and the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. It's beautiful as this eight-year-old girl followed through with a plan. And I don't think for a moment that Pharaoh's daughter didn't see what was going on. After all, she saw this was a Hebrew baby. This was a Hebrew little girl who happens to show up with a plan. And yet she would follow through. Yet God would use her to do this marvelous work and to rescue Moses, who God would use to rescue his people. You know, I mentioned this. I've been talking about Jochebed, the lady of great faith who went through with this plan, trusting God would save her baby. But there's another lady, there's another mother too that we seldom notice, and that's Pharaoh's daughter who would serve as a mother for a number of years for Moses. You see, tradition, Hebrew tradition says that she had one of two names. Thermusa was her given name, but her name was changed to Bithia, which means daughter of Jehovah. Since there was a name change, there's an indicator there was a heart change. That this one that was Pharaoh's daughter would become the daughter of Jehovah. Uh, matter of fact... In uh, the book of First Chronicles, chapter 4, verse 17. We read about her. The sons of Ezra, Jether, Merid, Ephraim, Jalen. One of Merid's wives gave birth to Miriam, Shammai. And Ishbah, the father of Eshtemoa. His Judean wife gave birth to Jared, the father of Gedor. Heber, the father of Soko. And Jacuthiel, the father of Zadanoah. These were the children of Pharaoh's daughter, Bithia, whom Merit had married. You see, there is evidence at some point. That this daughter of Pharaoh, this Egyptian woman, became a daughter of the Lord God. Of Jehovah. And it lists her sons that she gave birth to. But notice it also lists her oldest daughter. And did you catch her name? Miriam. She named her after that young Hebrew girl. Who came to her. 
who came in great faith. Do you want me to find someone to nurse this baby for you? She saw God's plan and, and, and she saw the faithfulness of these three children and of this family. And at some point, she turned her life over to the Lord God. And, and the fact of the matter is, we don't hear a lot about her. But it was a direct result of the faith of another woman. The mother of Moses. And here's the point. Jacobed's faith. Sometimes we think our faith doesn't have any impact. People aren't watching. People aren't listening. But the truth of the matter is, we do not know who's watching. And we are never quite sure who is listening. And God works in miraculous ways that we often miss. Because He is always at work. Here was a lady who left her nation to follow God's work in his nation, left her family in Egypt for another family and a new husband and a new God. For she followed not the Nile God, but the Lord God, Jehovah, who set her free and worked in her life. Let's pray. Father, as we think about faith, Lord, sometimes, Father, we think, I want a name everybody recognizes, a name everybody knows, a name that makes a difference, Lord. But every name makes a difference that's in your book. And I thank you, Father, for Jacobet. And I thank you for Bithia, Father. As we have example here of the two ladies who loved you and impacted your plan, Father. They were a part of your plan in the life of Moses who set your people free and thus set a path for the liver who set us free, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for the story of these ladies. Father, may your story be our story. And may people see you in us, Father, for your glory. And Lord, as we prepare to sing and worship you, respond to you, just remind us, Lord, we belong to you, the living God. You have rescued us. And Father, there's a reason. There are other people that are watching, looking for hope. And Father, may we walk close with you that they may see that hope. Just get a hold of our hearts, Lord. Help us see what you want us to see, Father, to trust in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.